Hello folks, welcome back. You're listening to the High Performance Human Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Ward. Now in the intro to our last podcast, I mentioned our new partnership with Precision Fuel and Hydration, which is also good news for you, the listener. Going forward, you will hear Andy Blow or his colleagues at regular intervals on the show sharing some of their latest insights or, and this is where you come in, answering your questions. So if you've got a sports nutrition question that you would like answering on air, please send it in to me via beth at the triathloncoach.com and we will get back to you with an answer, the best of which will be shared on a future episode of this podcast. Also, we've got a discount code for 15% in the show notes, which will give you that discount off your first purchase. And you can find links to both of these items in the show notes below. This week's guest is a repeat offender. The prof, Paul Larson, has been on the show many times before, and you can find links to those podcasts in the show notes. And our last chat focused on high-intensity interval training, of which Professor Paul was one of the authors of that enormous tome of information that we'll also link in the show notes. And we're going back to that subject today, but in a different context. Recently, I've been receiving a lot of questions from older athletes, folks in their late 50s and beyond, asking out whether high-intensity interval training is safe for them to continue doing. And if so, what type, how much, and how often they should include it in their schedule. Today, we cover all of these topics, and hopefully by the end, you'll be better informed about how you can make high-intensity interval training work for you. I will give you one hint. You definitely need to be including this type of work in some format so please keep listening to find out how there's a lot of great stuff in the episode so strap yourselves in and get ready with pen and paper because here he is the prof himself well it's a great pleasure to have you back on the show professor paul larson hey simon great to be with you as always my friend so you have been on the podcast several times before and i think maybe now you've overtaken the clues again so you're at your top of the leaderboard yes um which is uh, which is a good thing. Always always like to have a little bit of competition. And specifically in the past, we have spoken because you're the author of this book, Science and Application of High Intensity Interval Training. Uh, I've got a copy here. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's a, it's a huge book. Um, it's it's an encyclopedia of hit training, um, of which I think a lot of it is still misunderstood. Um, so. I see you very much as one of the world's leading experts on this, Paul, and that's that's the reason I asked you here today. But but mostly because as I get into my late fifties and early sixties, I'm wondering, and I know a lot of people are asking me, should I still be doing this sort of work? You know, is it not going to be damaging to my health or dangerous to me? Um, and that's why I wanted to find out what what your thoughts were and get your guidance. Um, so if somebody said to you, Paul, is is there an age where we need to think about changing our interval protocol is 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 there such an age or is it you know does it depend <laughs> yeah unfortunately it just depends um you know there's uh we recently did a blog post actually on hit science and it was i forget his last name it was baz van huren i believe it was and he was he was doing a profile of the masters world masters record holder for um guys in their 70s right so they these guys were like 73 and 75 one was the marathon world record holder 
um, at that, you know, in the 70 plus. And the other one was the one mile record holder. And um, so these guys, like, you know, these guys are going, you know, 240, 248 for the marathon. And, uh, you know, I forget what it was, but it, it's something ridiculous for the mile too. Um, and here's just like kind of two classic examples of it depends, right? So it's just in terms of what can still be done in your seventies is, you know, technically or physically is, is, is remarkable. These guys had VO2 max levels um, in their forties. Both of them were tested sort of in their forties, um, you know, mid, mid sort of 40 range. No, 50, it was 50. That's right. Uh, so yeah, well, the, I think the marathoner got up to, uh, no, it was the, it was the miler who got up to 50 and then the marathoner was like 46 or something like that, but it was still, it was, it was remarkable what these guys could sort of still do. And they're just working at really high percentages of their max. So yeah, just to answer your question, what is actually possible is, is remarkable, but everyone is an individual, right? And, and a lot of us, a lot of us shouldn't, right? A lot of us, we have to be sort of be careful with, with that. Mm depending on the context, right? So I, I'd even take sort of myself now, right? So I'm 52 and I've got an arthritic um, right hip from following the blues around far too much. I really <laughs> have to be careful with how much high intensity interval training I do. And when I do that, because I don't want to have my, you know, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go to my surgery eventually for that, but I don't, I want to kind of delay that as long as I can. So right now I have to really be cautious with how much hip training sort of I do for that that hip so um there's sort of the lay of the land there's no age really that you kind of can't stop doing this do this as long as it's comfortable and without pain and appropriate but at the same time if your context warrants a change then you know too much stress and injury uh you really have to be careful with it and then and and modify accordingly and i guess that advice would also pertain to those folks who are coming into the sport like latecomers who perhaps have never done hit before and they're already in their 50s or 60s and thinking well this stuff's gonna supercharge my fitness versus those who've been doing it for a long time and are perhaps familiar with how hard to push themselves totally yeah so for sure like um you know uh if you're a newcomer and you're just coming for your first time you probably should uh do some lower exercise intensity build the base you know, do your zone one, two kind of training because that, that, that shifts the whole, um, threshold profile, the, um, where you get more fat burning ultimately that's taking the place of, of, the stressor more, you know, carbohydrate sympathetic type, type areas. It builds every sort of thing up and allows you to recover better between bouts. Um, and then when you're ready and you've got that sort of, you know, you're comfortable with those zone one, zone twos, zone threes, well then give it a few, few little, little hits and, and do a few, you know, a little, little, uh, short, short intervals and whatnot and dip into the larger motor units and sort of see how that, uh, how, how that goes. So, but yeah, yeah. Progression is key. Yeah. I remember, uh, I'm not sure if you were there when Steve Asilo was speaking at the endurance coaching summit and he had this little pyramid like, um, Maslow's hierarchy but he'd done his own little hierarchy and at the bottom it was like lots and lots of frequency and volume so basically zone one and zone two as you just said and then if you want to go to the next level random occasional short bursts and if you want to take it to next level 
more structured occasional short bursts. And if you're actually doing those three levels, you'll get 90% of the way to your goal, regardless of who you are. Perfect. Exactly. Yeah, that is that is best practice, in my opinion, right there. Sealer's Sealer's hierarchy of needs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So and when we're doing this high intensity interval training, and we'll come on, we'll come on to the categories of which which are outlined in your book uh, of, of what constitutes HIIT training. Um, what are we really trying to do as older athletes? Are we trying to develop VO2 max? Are we trying to maintain what we've got or are we ignoring the sort of the hormonal biological stuff and really going on to that sort of um, activation of fast twitch fibers and getting them to remember what it's like to just produce high levels of power or is it, is it a combination of those? Yeah, I think it's probably, it's probably a combination like in terms of, you know, really in terms of hierarchy, if we go back to the, what you just described the sealers hierarchy of needs if zone one, zone two is the whole base, really the, the hierarchy then becomes your ability to burn fat as a fuel in your everyday life, right? That, that's kind of, that, that's the hierarchy. Now that builds on your ability to um, increase your VO2 max. It's highly related. Uh, so, um, but you won't really see your VO2 max typically in prediction equations um, on a metabolic cart. Remember, VO2 max is defined as your maximal oxygen uptake, the maximal ability of your, uh, you know, your lungs to breathe in oxygen from your heart to deliver that to the working muscles and cells of the body and for the cells to be able to take that oxygen up, right? So this is is what we're talking. And VO2 max is indeed a very strong predictor of longevity, of uh, physiological function, um, of, you know, yeah. And of course there's an age predictor in there as well. You, you do generally want, uh, as one of many factors, but it's a key factor that you want a high level of that. Right. So we were just talking off air of, you know, Alistair Brownlee. And I, I would, I would hazard to guess that Alistair Brownlee, who many of your listeners will know, well, you know, he's probably sitting around a VO2 max of 85. Right. And then I was just speaking to the, um, to the elite, 70 year olds those guys were we were talking in you know 45 to 55 is is at the very very elite level so and then i'm i'm looking at my um my garmin watch right now and it's predicting me at, at a 53 i had a 54 the other day but i it was uh yeah anyways <laughs> so these are kind of the numbers if those of you that have garmin watches you can probably have a look at what your prediction uh level garmin watches sort of show that and, and yeah, like, I mean, if I'm honest, I'm keeping an eye on mine. Like I'm, I'm interested in the algorithms and the factors that are going into my Garmin watch that are, that are giving my, my VO2 max reading. And, you know, it's an, it's, they've kind of gamified a little bit with that. Because I do, I know it's importance and I do like to kind of keep my level, level up there. I'm, um, and what is it? John Hawley is an exercise physiologist. He always says, uh, I'm I'm trying to keep my a my VO2 max higher than my age, <laughs> and I'm I'm doing the same, right? So I'm I'm 52 years of age. I've got a VO2 max of 53 on my prediction, and it's, but it's getting close. It's going to get harder and harder every every year. So I can't even remember where we started here, Simon. But <laughs> yeah, well, VO2 max is important. I'm not sure if I ever had a VO2 max of uh, 59, so I failed on that one, or I'm, I'm going to struggle. Um, that's a tough one but, so, yeah, you're, you're, but, <laughs> but, but uh, going back to your point about how important it is for the zone one zone two stuff then if that's 
is that good enough to maintain our VO2 max or do we do do we need to have that sprinkling of high intensity work in there from time to time because there are different there are just there are different energy systems used at that level of work so do we do we need to keep those activated or is it or will well, it be enough for some and this is kind of we're, yeah. we're we're moving over towards the well you know what does hit training bring to the party ultimately right and what it brings to yeah. the party yeah is the recruitment of the larger motor units, the fast twitch muscle fibers. Most of us most of us here on the podcast, we probably have heard of our slow twitch muscle fibers and our fast twitch, twitch muscle fibers, right? The slow ones are the ones that we use in everyday sort of actions there. You know, we're walking around, going for a little light jog. You're recruiting most of your smaller um, motor units, muscle fibers. And they're they're very fatigue resistant. They don't fatigue um, highly at all. Um, you can use them all day, right? Um, to walk long, long miles, they burn lots of fat. Uh, Played with mitochondria, the energy powerhouses that give us the energy for our day. But we also are equipped with these larger, bigger, fast twitch muscle fibers. Now, the fast twitch muscle fibers; these are very uh, carb burning, glycolytic in nature, sugar burning, um, but they fatigue quite rapidly, but they're bigger and they're explosive. So if you're going to punch someone in the face, you're, <laughs> you're recruiting your, uh, your large fast twitch muscle fibers to do that. Or if you're sprinting up a hill or you've got to run away from a lion, you are, you're dipping into every last little fast twitch muscle fiber that you, that you have. They are, sympathetic the sympathetic nervous system drives these that's our fight or flight um, nervous system and um they're they're explosive but they the problem with these um is they're kind of they they, they're associated with stress and you're doing head exercise and you're doing it probably correctly you are dipping into that whole system larger fast twitch muscle fibers sympathetic nervous system fight or flight stress um so yeah, this, and, and here is kind of the two edged sword of it. So it's really good to dip into these from time to time because you um, will, by, by hitting that system, you're telling your body, no, I'm not, I'm not dead and done yet. I'm still needing these. I want to hold on to these. The problem is with, with age is that um, we, we dip into these less and less and we turn them off, right? They, it's the if you don't use it, you you lose it, and that's that's the system how we're that we're that we're set in. Mm. So hit in in itself, if you get like you said with Sealer's hierarchy need, needs that small little dose of that in your um, in your life um, diet, you're telling your body to keep that going a little bit longer in your life. So that's why it's uh, that's why it's kind of be- beneficial to to hit that. Okay, so fast twitch fibers. Now I know that we lose these naturally with aging, and that's probably why we lose our ability to generate power. But a lot of endurance athletes don't lift weights to preserve or develop those fast twitch fibers either. So they have what they use what they've got. Um, I know we're encouraging folks to lift weights as they get older to try and preserve that and maintain bone density. Um, if if we don't if we don't lift weights, but we try to do the HIT training, are we doing ourselves a disservice? Should we be doing both? So we, we're creating and maintaining the fast twitch muscle fibers so that then when we do the 
you know the explosive training we actually have more more materials to work with yeah well i mean i would if i were i mean alex hutchinson who writes for outside magazine uh, canada's globe and mail paper i just had him on my podcast and we spoke about this same sort of same sort of thing he's written a, re- a recent article on this um you know should i do weights or should i do cardio uh, to keep it kind of really simple. And the answer is you should do both. And now you're sort of throwing in a third one here with, well, what about hit exercise? And I would, I think um, the answer really is if you had to, again, go back to Sealer's hierarchy of needs, we want that aerobic, you know, L1, L2 kind of first. Then, you know, you probably would, um, from a health standpoint, you probably would put the weights on top of that. Yeah. Like, you know, because it's it's like, at least it's, it's something that's going to dig in there and and recruit. It's the other end of the spectrum, and it is going to recruit and tell those large fast twitch muscle fibers. No, you're not turning off on me quite yet. Um, and then, but then, if you had a third option, you would sort of throw in some of that hit exercise. And because and and the reason is we're bringing in a new issue into the um, into the whole uh, paradigm here you're getting something, one more thing that you're not really getting with the other two. And you're getting a larger cardiac output, a larger stroke volume of your heart. Your heart is all of a sudden stretching and contracting higher, uh, more than if you were to just be doing uh, low intensity L1, L2 work. And certainly it's not really getting recruited whatsoever in any of the, uh, any of the strength training work. So this is where HIT kind of comes in and adds a third boost mm. of your your whole system. Yeah, I, I mean, I like I like your point there about strength training being a preserver of human function because we have to have high high functioning humans first before they can become high performing athletes, right? Particularly as they're getting older. Um, but it does bring me on to another question of if if somebody has a strength training session in the week where they're doing some squats and some deadlifts and some you know they they're doing they're doing some heavy work using the primal lifting patterns. Would that actually count as a high intensity session? Because they're probably going to be, if they're doing four or five reps, that's probably going to be 20 to 30 seconds of work. They're going to need a long recovery because it's it's fatiguing the central nervous system as well as the, um, the muscular system. Um, so they need a, a long recovery in between the sets, but do they also, they'll need a longer recovery in between workouts. So does that count as one of their hit sessions? Because I know a lot of people don't see their strength work as uh, they don't count that in the same sort of realm as they do with their sort of swim, bike and run work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're talking sort of semantics in, in this whole thing, whether it's hit or not, it's not technically hit. Like, so in my book uh, with Martin, we won't, we don't technically call the strength work, hit per se we classify that mm-hmm. in hit types it's in there it's uh we classify it as a neuromuscular stress on the body which is which is what it is and uh, in our model it sits down at type six uh we won't go into that we, i think with the last podcast we did you can go back and if you want to know about a bit more of the types i think we spoke about that simon but um yeah like you know in terms of where you you put this again it depends but you could uh, probably, you know, if you're going pretty solid into your strength training, circuit training with uh, with your neuromuscular, musculoskeletal type stress on this, you might 
is some people might want to rest after that um, and, you know, take a few days kind of to recover if it's, especially if it's hard on them and causing any sort of muscle damage, muscle soreness. Um, one, however, it also acts as an excellent primer too. So you, you will, this is what we're sort of um, in certain contexts, in certain people, it actually makes them quite alive and they feel quite good for the rest of the day, especially when mm-hmm. they're getting used to this. And, and it can actually be good to put, put um, your hit session back to back on that. So if you get, if you're a two session a day type person, you might do your hit session sort of in the morning. Um, and, but it actually might, it, 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 a lot of, a lot of us is, it's showing that it, it kind of holds so that you can actually do your hit session later in the day, N- never excessive, but like, you know, if you're going to do say some short intervals, some 30 thirties, uh, sets of 30, 30, um, that can be really, you know, um, that can go well, um, in, in later on sort of in your, in your day, but then you're taking a number of days off after that kind of thing. Like it's just, it, um, you're actually blocking it in your training program as, you know, Tuesday is just going to be hit like that's or like, or Tuesday is going to be high intensity type stuff. It's going to be a strength, you know, hit session in the morning, strength in the, at, in the afternoon or vice versa, kind of whatever one primes the other is sort of what we're, what we're finding, but context always, that could be in some of the, your, your older populations, that could just be way too much. And you'd want just one on, on one day three, four days rest hit, you know, the other one on the, on the other, on the other day there, and then low intensity L1, L2 kind of all around that. Mm. So. Mm. Yes. Yeah, so a bit like one of these N equals one studies, isn't it? Is you just have to find what works for you on this. Um, oh yeah. I mean, we're, we're all so different, right? So, you know, everyone here is a listener that that's a, that is a listener. You are you and you have your own issues and you have your own strengths and uh, you really got to be get in tune with your, your feel on who you are. And, um, you know, like intuitively, you know, if you, if you listen, like get, get guidance, listen to as much as you can listen to Simon, but you know, the, you gotta, yeah, you really have to kind of take own your own ownership on all of this. Um, you know, and no matter what it, what it is. Interesting what you said about how in the book you don't really categorize strength training as, as a particular, you know, as one of the main hit workouts, because I think, you, again, we know how popular it is for people to search on the internet for what's the right sort of training to be doing. And you'll see a lot of strength coaches out there, particularly the kettlebell coaches and the CrossFit coaches saying, you know, look at this hit workout you can do. And they're very much programming strength work and short duration, high burst activities as a hit workout so I can see how um, there could be conflict in people's minds about what constitutes hit and what doesn't. Um, so it's, so it's, it's good to hear that from you, Paul, because you've done a lot of the work on this. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, this is, um, so Martin and I, in, in the book, we read the, the 1900s where, you know, hit evolved with, um, with running coaches, right. In the, yeah. throughout the Olympic programs. And it was hundreds that it was, uh, you know, uh, through the athletes and the coaches as they were tinkering that it was a better road to Rome ultimately got faster and faster, better and better. Roger Bannister breaks the, you know, uh, the four minute mile he's using this sort of stuff as well, but this is, that's really where hit originated. And that's the whole, and it's really, it's defined as exercise intensity that is above your, in, in your red zone, which is technically your FTP, your functional threshold power, your, you know, 
your uh, maximal lactate steady state, so your your threshold. That's technically what it is. But now, you know, enter into the 2010s and CrossFit and the internet takes a, you know, is all the rage. So HIT then becomes, due to those influencers, HIT then kind of grabs a new meaning. And now it's kind of, like you said, it's the kettlebell, it's the CrossFit. And um, yeah, they sort of sabotage the traditional means of, of mm. HIT. Um, it doesn't really matter as long as you're, you know, we're all, when, whenever you're speaking to someone, you understand each person understands sort of what, what we're talking about. You just get a little bit more info, info there. Yeah. That, that, I think that understanding the language, the commonality of language, it's a bit like when scientists talk about maximum lactate steady state, whether it's lactate threshold, whether it's anaerobic, anaerobic threshold, you hear this, you hear different definitions for the same point on that curve. And it, again, it could get a bit confusing. So as a coach, I would always say to somebody, just you have your language, but make sure that the people that you're working with understand what language that you're talking. When you refer to MLSS, they know what that means. When you refer to aerobic threshold, they know what that means. As long as you're all talking the same language, you'll be fine. It's when everybody's talking different languages, it gets a bit confusing. That's right. Yeah, actually. And this is where I really, I think the um, podcasts are so much more powerful sometimes than even the the written content that you find on various things on the internet because you're getting I don't know it seems there's a greater richness almost in the when a couple of people are having a conversation about these sort of things mm-hmm. you can go into more a little bit more depth and yeah mm-hmm. so I, I think it's a fantastic you know, innovation really I'm uh, I'm just going to turn to it because you talked about how you define um, what hit is here in fact on page four of the book you've got five different depictions of um of, of hit type intervals uh, you've got long intervals you've got short intervals repeated short sprints repeated long sprints and then small sided games for the teams so we'll probably ignore those um are all of those interval types still relevant for older athletes um or would you say that repeated short intervals might be better because they perhaps create less bit less lactic acid, a bit less prolonged fatigue after the session and therefore enable somebody to recover a bit quicker. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would, Simon. I, I would think um, maybe repeated short sprints could be could be useful as well. Uh, I would put those sort of three. I would stay away from the um, the long intervals or the sort of the long sprints. Those can be really, they're very, they really come with a lot of um, anaerobic uh, and uh sympathetic stress and neuromuscular strain and they're a little they can be yeah there's not really a great context to use those even though there is like that's kind of the crossfit mentality is just you know go go what is done most people that are older that have done that have gone in and had crossfit probably go well for three weeks or something like that and then they'll or whatever <laughs> their their time yeah of, of resiliency is uh, can be shorter can be longer but then they'll eventually realize that they're getting injured uh not making progress um yeah and and getting overtrained and and, and stressed so what's more um and then you know you can kind of go down a degree and then you kind of get to you mentioned long intervals these can be good for a short period of time so long intervals we're kind of talking you know, um, VO2 max type work, uh, it's often called VO2 max intervals, two to five minute work bouts, uh, maybe two to five minute recovery intervals. 
Um, and um, these ones also can be really useful and, you know, to do a few actually before a race, kind of build up to a race, they can be really, they can be nice, you know, um, sort of two, two, three week, weeks out if you're in a healthy sort of situation. But again, you have to be careful on the, the longevity sort of standpoint of that and having too much of those in the program, um, got to be careful. But then you've, you also, you started with the short intervals. Now, these are really, these are the ones, if you're going to have a nice, you know, regular stimulation and uh, a little dose uh, in your program. For example, I do at least, you know, one of these a week because they're sustainable for me and and I, I get benefit from them. Um, and these are, you know, something like a 30-30. These are sets of 30-30 where it's like a zone 5-6 for 30 seconds and then um, totally rest, just turning over the legs for 15 to 30 seconds this is really nice and then you're doing sets of those you can do mm. from you know from five like five reps to 10 reps in a set and then you might you know, kind of take a break and you know take three to five minutes of a just turn just nice and easy and steady and then do that again um and and uh, you can build up the the number of uh of sets of those in a week and and these are these are just like we were talking about. They're great for getting into those larger motor units, but you also, the, the heart rate kicks up as well. So you're all, all, you know, you get by the mm -hmm. end of the sets of 30, 30, you're also getting towards the top of your, um, uh, your maximal heart rate towards max heart rate. Maybe just, you might be just like five, five beats, uh, below that. Um, you should be breathing heavy as well. Um, so again, you're getting that nice heart stretching that we spoke about and, mm -hmm. uh, you're breathing heavy and, um, the respiratory muscles are working hard. And yeah, these are, this is again, another, another great set. So in the context of who we're speaking to here, mostly triathletes, endurance athletes, um, yes, the, the short intervals would be the hierarchy. Number one, maybe some long intervals, second, and maybe some, even some short repeated sprints, but keep it really, uh, and these are when you're going sort of all out for five to, to seven seconds. These can be really nice as well. Um, but carefully, you don't do too, not doing too much. Yeah, it's that corrosiveness of all the glycogen and the free radicals and everything, isn't it? The more you create, that seems to be longer recovery, you know, pushing your immune system under a little bit more stress. And I, maybe we can come on to this a bit later, but for me as well, if you're, as an older athlete, I feel like, if I get ill or injured, I lose my fitness quicker and it takes longer to get it back. So the best way to avoid any of those is just not to put yourself in that situation in the first place. So hold back a bit from what you might have done when you were in your 20s or 30s when you'd go all out. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, for whatever reason, um, like I'm watching my daughter kind of grow up and, and you know, she's she's kind of, she's 13 now and, She's, I just, I see her developing this, this nice aerobic engine. She's a swimmer. Um, and she's, uh, yeah. And I know she, she'll move into her twenties and I'm kind of reflecting on my own twenties and, and yeah, you just, you really have that nice, uh, diesel engine powerhouse and then you, you start to lose it. Right. And you just, you can't quite hit those same sort of, sort of levels. And, and yeah, you really do have to sort of be cautious with, I think how much, anaerobic sympathetic sort of stress you get into that um one thing i forgot to mention on the short intervals like you, you might be and someone might be asking themselves well why is that short interval beneficial relative to the long interval why would you want to take a pause 
in the short interval um, situation um, versus just continuing to to smash it for two to you know two to five minutes. Why wouldn't you want to you know you get it done faster? Well, it's you you mentioned it, Simon. It, um, it's really pushing out the blood lactate. It's and more blood lactate means more sympathetic stress. So you'll you know you'll you'll really start to get beet red um, on these uh, you know the high blood pressure kind of look. You know what I mean? You'll really go to town on the long interval one. But the cool mm-hmm. thing when you take that pause, fifteen to thirty seconds between the former thirty second one. It settles the whole system down a little bit. Lactate doesn't keep spewing out. Um, there's this neat little protein in our muscles called myoglobin, like your hemoglobin, except for muscles. And it quickly, it sucks back in all of the oxygen really, really quick. And it makes the whole workout more aerobic, more fat burning, and less glycolytic lactate kind of for us. And and it, it basically, it's it's a more calmer um, type of hit workout, but still getting a lot of the benefits that we were, that we want in our body. Yeah. I remembered, I don't, do you familiar with Jamie Pringle who used to be at Loughborough? Um, yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. I think I follow Jamie on, uh, on, I don't know him personally, but I follow him on, on Twitter. Jamie, Jamie once did a presentation for us at British Triathlon and he shared this bit of research where they, where the, the, um, the physiologists had looked at different protocols of intervals. So it was like, um, 10 seconds on 20 seconds off 20 seconds on 40 seconds off 40 seconds on 80 seconds off right so over a a block of time you were doing the same amount of work but it was just that the durations of the work were longer and therefore that would create more lactic acid and then what they were doing was looking at the total amount of blood lactate at the end and how much had been created versus the actual adaptation that they were getting physiologically from that training session so they found that the, the shorter interval periods didn't create anywhere near the same amount of lactic acid, but the adaptation was almost as good. And the, because there was less lactic acid in the blood, less carried over for the next day, it meant you could probably repeat that set twice in a week, whereas the longer repetitions, um, the athletes were only able to do it once in a week. And so, again, yeah. for athletes, shorter interval periods are probably a bit easier on your body but and more repeatable. Yeah. And really, this almost kind of brings us back to what's important, right? And almost back to the where we started with Sealer's uh, hierarchy of, of needs. Well, the other one that we kind of didn't mention there is consistency of training. Consistency of training uh, is the number one thing. Actually, the Plues did, the Plues and I, um, I'm pretty sure the Plues did this with some of the, the rowing team. We actually looked back and, and um, did a like sort of a post-Olympic analysis on the things that were the key important factors for medal success or, you know, making it to a final in the Olympics. And it was exactly that. It was consistency of training. And I've seen this time and time again. It's like the more you can consistently signal your body, back up training day in, day out, um, the more the, the more success you going to have. So um, the most important session is the next session. That is really like, that should be in your head. And you do that through exactly what you just said, Simon, where it's like, that's why you're, if you don't bin yourself in that uh, current session, you can back up again with the next session. So uh, short intervals, like Jamie was sort of showing there, have the same sort of outcome you're hitting the same targets but you're not doing too much and you're not binning yourself so that 
your so that you can't sleep at night so that you can't you know you feel like shit in the, the next day um you'll be able to train again tomorrow and that's the key thing this i've got instagram's got a lot to answer for hasn't it in terms of all this because these are the hero workouts that you see people posting but you never you never actually see what happened after the thing that happened you know like when they couldn't get out of bed the next day or they were so hang dog that they couldn't get <laughs> to the pool um, yeah. You know, we should have more of that. We should have more of those posts, and or the or the hero post should come with some sort of red stamp warning. <laughs> totally. um, you know, it looks good on here, but it's not necessarily good if you look at the the context. That's um, right. You, you, that that whole consistency thing, Paul. I, I, you know, every time I hear that, it makes my heart warm because as a coach, I've been telling folks this f- for years now, and every time I hear somebody. Uh, you know, at your level of work and experience and knowledge and expertise saying that um, it's just a confirmation, not that I'm on the right path, but just that we're all on the right path if we can focus on consistency. And I, I can, if I could find it, it's upstairs in my whole library of uh, training diaries. I've got one from 1989. So, um, you know, that's, uh, what's that? That's 34 34 years ago now from the first training camp I went on with a guy called Bernie Shrewsbury who was a he was a cross-country skier he was in the special forces he was British triathlon champion at the time and we'd have trained with him all day and then we'd have dinner with him and I remember him saying consistency is a key to success write that down and I wrote it in the front cover of my book and there it is still today that same message solid all the way through and probably going right back to those athletes you talked about at the beginning of your book in the 1900s consistency was the key to their success as well yeah it, it really was yeah for sure i mean lydiard would say the same thing right um yeah in, in, in some of his writings and stuff like yeah it's, it's backing up session day after day i think one of your um one of your colleagues alan Cousins, says the, t- the key to being a winner is uh, being familiar and comfortable with monotony and boredom yeah totally yeah for sure like you, you kind of just got to make it part of your routine right so i'll get off this podcast and I'll get on my bike. It's planned. It's I'm, I'm on my bike, and uh, and um, I'll lift it. I'll also lift a couple of weights too, right? So it's just like it's every day. I just I have to do it. It's my you know I'm I'm you know I have a fortunate life. I'm able to do that. I know not every single individual can find that time, but to me, you have to you have to try to block that time. Just like you're making time for your family, or like you're making time for your work. Like you're making time for your nutrition, you're like you're making time for your sleep, making time for your training, um, pro, your appropriate training should be on your schedule, and and you should have that should just be like a key component in your life, in my opinion. Um, you know, almost almost daily is, uh, and, and it you know it can be as easy as some gentle stretching and yoga, right? Like for so, but it's just something like movement is a fundamental. Uh, concept in in all of us is, is being a human being so you should move your body some way ev- every day sitting in these chairs and uh, talking on zoom sessions you know like we're doing that's that's not so natural so um yeah it's why we really have to kind of balance all of that with things that us our dna and humans were meant to do Ah, you're standing I've nice. Got, I've, got, I've, got you. <laughs> I've got one up on you there, Paul. I'm at my stand-up desk. But I, I did a podcast with Kelly Sturrett, whose thing is about daily movement practice and being at a stand-up desk, and I totally subscribe to that as well. It's something else that I feel as, as older folks we need to embrace more is maybe less 
less of the the fat burning stuff and more of the movement practice and just just unkinking a body. Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> you talked about your hip, how you had this little bit of osteoarthritis, so you had to be very careful about um, hip training. Are there are there any forms of hip training that you avoid because of that? Because you know that that type will make it worse. Well, yeah. So I'm no longer running, right? So, um, but even if I do a uh, an extreme, you know, a heavy hit session on the bike, I can still kind of feel it because that's just the, that's my context. That's the situation that I'm in too much. Mm. Um, yeah. Too much, uh, following the blues around training for, um, you know, uh, topo in New Zealand, unfortunately. And, uh, and yeah, so I, uh, but it's what other forms I have squats, but yeah, these are, sorry. You know, sorry. Say that again. You don't, yeah. you don't, you don't do squats. Well, I just have to, yeah, actually, it just depends. It's like, it's, you know, when I, when I lift really heavy, so I can, I can squat, you know, two plates. Right. So when I go to, when I do, when I do two plates, I just have to be careful on that. If that's sort of too much and maybe it might be jarring the, the trochanter okay. in there, in the, in the, in the femur and the, between the femur and the hip, because my, my padding in there is diminished um, because of my situation. Now, everyone is going to have their own little context like this. So it really depends on that person. Um, you know, if I had a shoulder injury and I was a swimmer, uh, I'd be having, you know, I'd, I'd be cautious on my, my swim training, or, you know, if I had a rotator cuff kind of issue, I wouldn't be doing hit there. So if you've got any sort of soft, soft tissue injury in any sort of area, you need to be careful with the the higher intensity forces mm. that are pushing through that, that joint. Um, yeah. But if you're, if you're pain-free uh, and you're feeling good and you're healthy and you're low, you know, generally low stress, have, you know, have at her, have, have fun with it, play around with it. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with you there. I've I've had chats with people like Bobby McGee and um, Alison Rose, who's the physio here who works with a lot of elite runners and triathletes. And I know their feelings are that injuries to the, you know, most triathlon injuries are lower limb. Most of them occur through running, but generally that's because of a weakness in, in, those, in that muscular structure around the hip and the knee and the ankle. And so if we're working on those, there's no reason, you know, and everything's healthy, there's no reason to avoid um, short, hard um, sprints, short, hard hill sprints. If you're perfectly healthy, you know it's not it's not necessarily going to cause you an injury unless you've already got one or unless you've gone piling into it without a good warm up. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, that would be the message. I mean, it, it, moving away from hit training a little bit, but talking about warm ups is is that something that you've noticed as a as a researcher and a physiologist that older folks need longer to warm up? And so perhaps if they're following a a program template that they've purchased where the coach who's written it has written it for the general population between 30 and 40 that they may need to adapt that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think a warm up is just generally great practice, right? It, it really helps when your whole body is, is warm. And uh, certainly I, yeah, I, I feel this myself, right? Like I, I love uh, feel better after 20, you know, 20 minutes to towards an hour, actually, I'll, I'll kind of warm up. Right. But not everyone has that much time. Right. Where, but yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm going a lot stronger after that, after that sort of time, I know that, uh, you know, metabolism, fat, fat burnings up, ketones are up. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm just generally happy at that time. And that's kind of when I can dig into these sorts of things. Um, so 
yeah, I just highly, highly recommend uh, a good, good warm up for all those various for body temperature, um, like more like the, the joints are actually more lubricated, um, all these sorts of things, but context specific, not everyone, you know, not, but this is if you've done the, the cedar hierarchy of needs and you're really building out your L1 and L2, you should be like that should be almost training you to warm up. Right, because that's those are all kind of warm up paces. So once you've reached that session where you are doing L1, L2 for an hour, well, maybe you know, maybe you can go to forty minutes and then do a couple of these, you know, tryouts, a few of these short intervals that we're that we're that we're talking about, and see how those feel. Um, I would also, if you can do them on the bike um, first before you do them on the run, if you if you're totally brand new to this, that's a great practice too because cycling is more of a concentric exercise and it's going to have less impact on the joints compared okay. to running, yeah. right? So the running is more eccentric loading and uh, it's a lot more jarring and stuff that happens on this. This is what got me in trouble. So so there's a, there's a question then, Paul, out of that is if, if, if the heart and lungs don't really know what exercise they're doing, they're just responding to the signals from the brain and the muscles to provide more oxygen, um, does it really matter in what context we do this hit training or have, or is it, have we just got to include some sports specific work for any events we might be doing, or is it okay in order to get that cardiac volume and that heart stretch that you talked about and trigger those fast twitch muscles? Is it okay to do all your hit training on the bike where perhaps folks might feel that they're just a little bit safer from injury? Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably better, better practice actually. So um, yeah. And I mean, again, back to, I was I spoke about Baz Baz Van Huren I believe it is uh, Masters athlete expert, and he was talking about even in, in, in like, so this guy is uh, number one runner for 10k in the Netherlands and a sports scientist, uh, and he he even sort of does that himself. So he's he's really building up high um, high volumes of of running, but he actually supplements it with the lower impact cycling. He actually does quite a, quite a lot of cycling, so it's. Uh, it's the same sort of uh, same sort of rationale. So if there is, yeah, you could do. Um, it could be much more beneficial to do your hit training, unless yeah, do your hit training on the bike. Get those, you know, target the cardiovascular system, but you know, just have your sort of your training as as sort of submaximal or threshold sort of base, so that you're not, you know, you're not really jarring the the joints. Uh, that you that you often get in like I, I like if I reflect on my injury again, I think it was you know probably too much downhill running um, that just mm. naturally happens and just too fast down a hill uh, where I'm really just letting the legs legs go. But that's probably too much jarring um, in in uh, into the joint into the hip joint. You're not going to get that in cycling. You're going to just be targeting the the leg muscles and the and the heart and lungs which is what you want uh to to be building in that that sort of session so great uh that's a great great comments on it mm. okay so let's let's go into the specifics a little bit more now paul um 80 20 that does it do your head in a little bit this whole 80 20 thing um you know in the way it's been misinterpreted and sort of extrapolated and everybody's choosing their own definitions for that um or do you, uh, do you just maybe I'm not maybe I'm not following it. it. I don't know. It's not, I, uh, it's not doing my head, and it makes 
it makes kind of sense be to me because it's like you're going back to Sealer's hierarchy of needs, right? So again, at least 80% of your training or thereabouts should be kind of at your um, you know, in your zone one, zone two. And then um mm. 20% should be the, you know, the 20 to 10 to 5, you know, <laughs> whatever it is for you in your own your own context. You want to touch on some of the higher intensity stuff sometimes and and probably different amounts of time depending on the season as well right so yeah i think perhaps more it's the it's the fact that it seems like when i listened to steven silo and asked him pointedly about that he said it's 80 percent of your sessions are in that low zone and 20 percent of your sessions are in the that high intensity interval training so if you're doing 10 sessions a week it's eight of one and two of the other but now it seems that folks are saying, oh, I'm doing 10 hours of training a week. So 20% of that time has to be high intensity. Well, that's two hours. That's an awful lot of time in that red zone. Um, and so that's that's where it sort of gets me a little bit is this misinterpretation and then people choosing the figures that they want for their own argument and ends, thinking that more of more harder stuff is better. Obviously, you don't see what happens to them because they have to shrink back into their shell when it all goes wrong. But um, yeah, I'd- yeah. So I think where the misinterpretation comes is we've talked really on this podcast. If you're hearing and getting this for the first time, you've heard about one threshold, right? And that hit training is periods of exercise above your threshold, but and separated by some recovery periods, and then you repeat those. But what we haven't spoken about, and this is where some of the 80-20 stuff comes, you know, can get a little confusing, is there's actually two thresholds. So there's a low threshold and a high threshold. Mm-hmm. So there's a VT1, first ventilatory threshold, one aerobic threshold, and a VT2, that's the one we were talking about that defines high-intensity interval training. And then there's mm-hmm. this mid-zone. See, Stephen in, in times has said, oh, you don't want to do too much training in your mid-zone. Uh, you know, this yeah. is your zone three because it's so easy to drift up in there. And that's the majority of us. If you're just starting uh, exercising, if you don't have any sort of knowledge, you tend to kind of just hang out in this. If you're just going to train every day, you tend to hang out mostly in zone three. And then you discover that too much of this mid-zone, zone three, is actually um, probably um too much is is probably harmful um so where this you know if you, you so keep in mind with what you just said the 80 20 that 20 percent is not in the second threshold right like that's too much like you said you just said two hours at that um high intensity real high intensity stuff is probably going to be too much but and this is where the norwegian the so-called norwegian method kind of comes in is 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 you do probably want a, a bit of that training in the sports specific zone three kind of model. So now that, that includes that 20%. So for example, um, you know, your yeah, like your race pace kind of efforts. So for say you're gonna do pieces, say you're doing a 70.3 event, right? You're you're training someone for that. Well, you want to take pieces of that zone three and probably practice that. So you probably want to practice. Uh, you know, uh, 10 minute pieces at that zone in that zone three kind of area, right? Where you're actually feeling like it is um, like you're at race pace. And and that's part of your, your 20, 80, 20 kind of rule. So um, that's, I think, where some of the misconception come, comes in on, on that, in my opinion. 
Okay, so so that's that's a good that's a good definition and outlining of that. So what we're really looking at is eighty percent of our work should be below that first turn point, if I'm interpreting what you're saying, and then the other, then the twenty percent is above that. So that could be zone three and zone four and zone five, which is where we traditionally think of high intensity interval training. Yeah, and I think that's where your confusion might be uh, yeah, coming in, your confusion or, or those of your your guests. Okay, so and does that does that still hold true for older folks as well? Given that we've talked about their ability to recover, do you think eighty twenty is right, or should we be you know reducing that whole percentage, or, or does it come back to what we talked about right at the beginning? It just depends on the athletic history and resilience and you know recovery um, ability of somebody. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it comes back comes back to the individual, right? So if there's a seventy year old that's doing sub three. So three marathon, right? Like <laughs> this is this is what is possible. But you know, there's there could be someone with a VO2 max of 20 and they're just they're they're going from you know coach to 5k. So um yeah, it's yeah, context is specific. I, I've often tried to work on the basis of doing the minimum amount possible to stimulate an adaptation, right? Not the maximum amount, the minimal amount. So minimal effective dose. Um it, do we have minimal effective doses for each of these intensities? You know, can we get away with doing when we're doing those repeated short sprints in blocks and you might be doing six to eight 30 second efforts, which gives us three to four minutes. And we do three of those that will give us nine to 12 minutes. Will that give us enough of an adaptation? Um, or you know, again, does it depend on our on our history? Yeah, I think it really depends on the history, right? Like you can, yeah, I mean, any of those could still be too much for a person just kind of coming off the couch. And it's, uh, but, right. uh, you know, if you've got some history, um, yeah, I just, um, I'm struggling to to know any certain guidelines, um, Simon. It's it's a bit of a bit of a tough one. Um, you know, how long is a piece of string? It's just, uh, yeah, it, it really... What can you do, and uh, what have you done recently? And um, you know how can we mm. can we just can we go uh, what you know around what you've done recently, and then build on that? No, I, and I understand that, and it's 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 good to hear that, Paul, because I know a lot of folks like to have it. It's got to be black and white. It's got to say I've got to have thirty seconds work and thirty seconds rest, and you know if I do it differently, then that's wrong, or is you know irrelevant and hearing you say that folks need to work out what's right for them you know i guess the same would be true for the amount of rest that people need um if we're doing this work i guess the the primary objective is to make sure that retaining the quality of work with each repetition so if the rests are too short for us to ensure that the quality is repeated do we need to stop the set or do we just need to give ourselves longer recoveries to enable the maintenance of that quality yeah, that's right. And this kind of leads to a really important um, concept that we should all be working on, and that is our own um, our own feel for training. And I, I recognize that if you're just starting out, you won't have this yet. But mm. you, you need we all need to work on it every single day. And it's what does my body need? What are the signals that my body is uh, is te- is telling me right now? Um, and you know, is this too much? And, uh, you know, because one of the key recommendations that we make in the book is, uh, you know, to always leave 
a hit workout, like you could do one or two more, right? So you mm-hmm. should know, you know, you might have your coach or whatever that, that, that gives you a prescription. It's great to have a guide. It's awesome. But you're the boss of you. You need to really look within and, and decide when you need to pull the pin and that's and enough is enough. It's very hard to do that, but that you should be at least working towards building the confidence that you're, you know, um, um, and listening to that, that sort of that system in your body. That's what it's that's what it's there for. Yeah, and this sort of comes back to those folks that I mentioned at the beginning who are asking me. You know, um, I'm I'm 65 now, Simon, and I don't see any programs that are written for people like me. You know, can you give me something that that's written for me as a, as an older as an older chap? an older woman but again the context for one person is different from another one person might still be able to cope with what most 35 year olds are doing and another person will be completely exhausted from doing one of those sessions per week so there isn't there isn't a standard template for that 65 year old athlete doing sprint triathlons versus the 65 year old who's wanting to run that sub three hour marathon and so the program has to be written for that individual athlete not a standard template yeah, no, for sure, man. Um, and then, as you know, with me, I'm a, I'm not a big fan of of standard templates. So, uh, yeah, no, you've, no. You've, uh, we need a new we need a new system that, that that does away with those. That's more individual to for people. Well, and that brings us around very nicely to something that might just be able to do that, Paul. Um, <laughs> so, I, I did want to ask you about this. Your new project. Well, it's not quite new. You talked about it in our last podcast a couple of years ago, but athletica. Is it dot AI? Is that right? Yes, yeah. Is 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 this new program where you're using artificial intelligence to help create more specific programs for athletes? So, can you just explain? Because I, I think maybe last time we talked, AI was just starting to get a little bit of uh, you know time on the on the news and in the new, in the press now it's all over the place um can you explain to folks how that works in in you know your elevator pitch i guess or your investor pitch <laughs> yes yeah, sure um and we are still looking for more investors if anyone's out there is interested <laughs> but basically it is uh you know we're a, a coach in your back pocket or right? in your um you know on your computer and it's um it, yeah it's ultimately Athletica is a, if you had a, a, an event, you'd plug in your race date for that event. You would hook up your Garmin or your Strava account and we draw a line between the two. Um, so, and, and again, the, the last example that you just gave, you're like, you know, everyone's an individual. Everyone has their context. Well, if you come in and you've been recording your training on your Garmin for the last six weeks, that's the very first thing that we do is that we upload the last six weeks of data from your Garmin or Strava watch, uh, Strava connection, whatever watch you've got. And we actually have a picture of, of you and what you've what you've done. So we have sort of the answer to all those questions. We know what 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 is in the past. And then we can address and start to build the plan to optimize your performance for the dating question. Now, coaches that might be listening to this on your on your podcast, or you know, they might get a little bit scared here that their jobs are in jeopardy. Well, fortunately, we have also a coach version. So, we have coach version, athlete version, and uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's basically yeah, it's an AI coach. It's uh, ultimately forms a training plan, and it that can 
just to adapt on a day-to-day basis. So even though you, you, many of you here listening will have a plan to you by your coach, and you don't always do that plan because life gets in the way of that. Well, if you're recording your data, it doesn't matter because now um, all of a sudden we're going to make tomorrow's session more appropriate for um, for you to still build appropriately to the next event. Mm. And that is like fluid periodization, right? That we talk about where if you were a coach on poolside and you're seeing your athletes coming in and some of them are coming in and they're excited and enthusiastic, and you can just see the energy sparking off them and others are dragging their feet and the shoulders are sinking. You as that coach on poolside or on trackside are going to make an adaptation to that athlete's program on that day. You might send a couple of them home. You might give some couple of them an easy day and you might give a couple of them a slightly harder session. But of course, not everybody has the benefit. Not every athlete has the benefit of having a program that, that having a coach there for every session that they do. So basically what you're saying is, I'm interpreting right, that that's what Athletico is doing. It's the coach in your back pocket. Is that right? You got it. You got it. Absolutely. Yeah, we're trying to really trying to give something that, you know, uh, of really high value for a, a very, a very low cost, but basically to give, you know, give, give the individuals, you know, a 500 to a thousand dollar, you know, type, you know, quality coach a month, uh, you know, for, for 20 bucks a month kind of thing, or, or even less. Mm. Um, so yeah. Does it, so if I'm, if, if I'm wearing an aura ring or a whoop, does it take that data in as well and look at my sleep and my, um, my recovery metrics? Not yet, but that is on a roadmap for putting in there. Um, but uh, at the interestingly, there's actually what we are using for our subjective markers are uh, rating of perceived exertion. So how did the session? Um, you know, how hard did you think the session was? Uh, the feel of the session. So uh, a session can be hard but feel great. You know, and then we also, um, you know, we we use Google semantic analysis. So uh, whether we like it or not, you know, uh, we're doing this over Zoom. The, the bots are probably interpreting our mood as well on that. So we we use Google semantic analysis on those. And it's interesting. There's a study. Uh, we're just putting a blog up on this on Hit Science, but it actually shows that the uh, your semantic your um, your your uh, items of feel and subjective comments actually trump uh, physiological markers like like heart rate mm-hmm. variability. So um, those are those are bonus ones. But the talking to your coach, your 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 athletes that talk to you, Simon, that's actually a better a better marker. Yeah, I I remember you saying that to me in our last podcast, Paul. That we we I think we touched on HRV, and you said actually that doesn't come that high in our hierarchy. You know, as the um, how would you call it the subjective feedback that you give. You know, I feel tired today. I feel fatigued. Um, yeah, and and I mean, so and keep so imagine my bias too, right? So with Dan Plews, he did his PhD in in HRV, and you know, so I'm very biased towards supporting HRV. But objectively, I I have to acknowledge that. Um, you know, the, talking to you as a coach or talking to you as an athlete, uh, that mm. that that feedback there from the person's mind and brain is 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 a far stronger indicator on any given day on how they are actually going. Um, now the research is showing that too. Yeah, I I think over the years I've, I've probably come to the same conclusion that when an athlete is uh, has everything under control, they're getting the training done, things get uploaded straight away, so the data's there. They ring you on time. 
they are forthcoming with information about how the training is going. They want to tell you about it. They're excited. When things aren't going so well, training gets uploaded at the end of the week. There's less commentary there about how the sessions were. It's just like, yeah, I did the session rather than a paragraph explaining how the session went. They perhaps are a little late on the call or they don't make the call at all. And you can you can sense from those things that things aren't going well, even if they're 200 miles away. You don't need to be looking at them in the face. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's and that's that is why you know online coaching can still work. Mm. Well, Paul, um, anything that we've missed today? Um, anything that I've forgotten to ask you? Mate, I think we've had a good, like we- good conversation. No, I think it's 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 been great. We've covered the hits. We've covered uh, yeah all the intricacies of it. Polarized training, um, and and yeah, and like and finished off with uh, with the future. The the, the AI bots are here. I did have one question I circled here when we were talking about um, fitting your high intensity training into the week. I'd written down, does it need to be structured? You know, we talked about how in sealess hierarchy, level two is you do a little bit of high intensity work here. Maybe you're out on the bike and you sprint, you do a few short sprints up some little hills. Um, is it good enough to have unstructured work in there or do there need to be reasonably short gaps between the efforts in order to get that heart rate spike or can we just you know we could do a a two-hour ride and have 10 hill sprints dotted around wherever they're at well as i as i mentioned um i'm a real big believer in feel and you know learning to to grasp that and trust yourself i think that's that's a sort of a development thing so yeah i believe um that is going to be a good thing and even if it's a bad thing you're going to learn from that bad thing you know what i mean so, uh, yeah, like I think it, get out there and experiment, use all the tools. Even Athletica is, it's just a tool. It's just a tool to, to learn and to help you help guide you being a better, uh, better athlete. And, um, so yeah, I don't think, and I, I know, you know, last podcast I listened to with Steven as well. He said the same sort of thing. It's like, if you, there's no, there's so many ways to skin the cat when it kind of comes to mm-hmm. it, but and there's mm-hmm. just some general guidelines that we can that we can use and help uh, us to um, on, to go on our merry way. But yeah, by all means, like there's there's no there's no hard set rules on these sorts of things. So if you're feeling good one day um, and and you think that that's probably what you what you need, then then rip in there and and, and have a good one. But if it's if you have a bad result. Be intelligent and write that down, uh, and and listen listen to that um, negative experience that you have. Learn from that, and mm. um, say you, you sort of you won't do that again, kind of thing. That that would be my advice. Yeah, yeah. And equally, if you get up one morning and you've got hit intervals in your program and you're just not feeling it, then don't don't do it because the program says so. Oh, big time, big time. That's, yeah, uh, absolutely. Move that session, shift that session, delete that session, do something recovery. That's, that is a yeah, key, key, key one. And bringing it back all the time to consistency is the key and making sure that this session doesn't knock you out for the next session. Yeah, the most important session is the next session. Absolutely. Well, that's a great place to finish, Paul. Thanks so much for being here again. You're always full of great knowledge and sharing and I've Really appreciate your time and um, your graciousness. So thank you very much. Uh, So absolute pleasure, Simon. All the best to you. All the best to all your listeners. And look forward to the next time. 
Thank you again to the prof for joining me as a guest on the show. Please check out the show notes because you'll be able to find links to all of those papers he mentioned and a lot more. Please also remember to look out for the discount code for your precision hydration order. And finally, if you've got any of those sports nutrition or hydration questions, please send them to me via Beth at the triathloncoach.com and we will answer the best ones in a future episode. Now, talking of future episodes, if you want to make sure you don't miss any, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast and click on the subscribe button. And while you're there and if you have time, I would really, really appreciate it if you can leave us a review on that Apple Podcast format. And you'll find a link to that in the show notes below as well. That Precision Fuel and Hydration Partnership I mentioned at the beginning of the show is one of a growing number of discounts or partner products we have for members of SWAT where you can get an even better discount on your PF and H products. Remember that the monthly membership of £30 means you also get access to a huge range of training plans for a full range of endurance events. That's triathlon, obviously, long-distance swim, Grand Fondo cycling events, gravel bike rides, you name it, we've got plans in there. And if we haven't got a plan that you want, then we'll create one. You also get access to monthly exclusive workshops and educational workshops on topics such as nutrition, sleep, strength, and many more. So if you'd like to learn out how to access that and be part of these member-only benefits, please click on the very obvious link in the show notes below. Well, that's all for me this week. Thank you very much again for being here, and I'll see you on the next episode. <laughs>